Kane is there, and so is Wanyama! A home debut goal. That's a good one. Okay. He's on the box. We have a run! Goal! Musapolo! Scorpions. It's an empty stadium, but the roofs of the Independence Stadium are coming down. I can feel. I use ball again. It's really, really, it's absolutely brilliant. And Kunis takes advantage. St. George. Now Heidemann. Cuts it in. Adriana Leon. What a hit! What a great goal! Canada take the lead. And it's Adriana Leon with a rocket into the top corner. Larin gathering it in. Does Canada look to find some early momentum? Well, Davies arriving! So a Kenyan, a Gambian, and a Canadian Ghanaian walk into a... No, it's, this isn't a joke, guys. This is literally the intro. Um, <laughs> yo, so back and join us, man. We talk a lot of football. We got our takes. Uh, we support different clubs everywhere. And honestly, it's all about African and Canadian football overall. So enjoy the conversation. We'll bring on guests. We'll have different conversations. But it's really just about where the sport is and where it could go. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, testing one, two, three. First of all, you know, happy 2023. 2022 was an interesting year when he looks at Canada soccer specifically. As we move into 2023, you know, there are questions we ask and there are also goals we want to achieve and there are resolutions. And since it's the first video of 23, I want to put this benchmark out there. So guys, welcome to the Africans. We do primarily Canadian, African content. I am Ghanaian, Canadian, Ghanaian parents. It doesn't really matter. But if you like this type of content, make sure you like, share, subscribe. I normally don't show my face a lot because, you know, it's my face. You don't really need it. But... Let's go to 23. So the idea is this. 23 thoughts are questions you have when it comes to football, soccer in Canada. Um, Now, these are for me. These are things that I'd like to see. And maybe there are things you like that I say. And perhaps there are things you think, eh, maybe there's something, you know, that I missed on the list. And you say, you know what? No, you forgot this. So let's go through these 23 things. And this is without the sport. So again, let's see how it goes. This is throughout the sport. So let's see how it goes. Let's start with goal number one. By the way, this is not in any particular order, but let's go with goal number one. The men have to win a trophy this year. Now they have Nations League and the Gold Cup coming up. They have two games, Curacao and then in Canada for Nations League. If they're able to win those two matchups, then... They find their way to Nations League fine semis and final. So, with that being the case, then this summer we also have the Gold Cup happening. 
Now, after the success of the year that they had last year, I know they didn't win a game at the World Cup. However, the men's national team have an opportunity. I think looking at them, I feel they are a team that is now just sitting down in the top four, maybe top three spot in CONCACAF, and it's now up to them to show that they belong there. One way to do so would be to push and reach and win a final to really cement that position. And that gives an opportunity. So they have that plus the, that title. There's going to be some interesting storylines with it. How are players recovering? You know, is a player like Maxim Crepo back? Are players like Daniel Henry playing well? Is this a last run for players like Atiba Hutchinson, Steven Vittoria, players along that ilk and line? These are questions that we all have to, you know, ask ourselves. But they do offer a very intriguing summer for the men so i think coming away with a trophy this year is imperative whether it's the gold cup whether it's nations league they need to win a trophy to really cement their spot as a top three nation in Concacaf when it comes to football slash soccer let's move over to the women the x have the world cup coming World Cup happening in July to August. I may or may not be there. We'll find out. If you're watching this and, you know, there's videos of me surrounded by a kangaroo, well, it's a, it's a fun time. But with the women currently ranked number six in the world, heading to the World Cup with Nigeria, Australia, and Northern Ireland in, or Ireland, my apologies, Ireland in their group, they're expected to move on. So, with the Women's World Cup, or the World Cup in 23, a goal I'd like to see them achieve is make the semis. Yes. We talked about legacy a little bit with Atiba. This could be Christine Sinclair's final World Cup. The top goal scorer internationally of all time. Maybe the last one for a player like Desiree Scott. Maybe a player like Sophie Schmidt. We don't know. But with that being the case, it's one last opportunity to really have Canada on the map and playing. And I think, yes, the world has definitely improved on the women's side. We see more European teams emerging. We see great players in CONCACAF emerging, right? Whether they qualify or not, I hope they do. Uh, Let's go Haiti. Let's hope you qualify. But... This is the last hurrah, the last dance, so to speak. 2023 is going to be the last dance for some of the veterans, some of the faces that have been synonymous with the program. So I think my goal for them is reaching the semis, top four. I know some may say, you know, why not top eight, you know, make the quarters. I think this team has quality enough to push. They have a goalkeeper in Kaylee Sheridan, who could be one of the best women in the world. They have a midfielder, which is a solid group. They have arguably the best left back in the world in Ashley Lawrence. They have an emerging one in Jade Riviere. We'll get to her in a minute. There's enough on this team for me to think and say they should be a top four finishing team. Which means to be the best, you have to beat the best. They come in as the Olympic champions. But that means, yeah, there's a target on their back. Yeah. So you got to brush your shoulders off every once in a while. So, women, that's goal number two. I My goal, resolution, make the semis of the World Cup. Resolution number three, 
the men's U17 is happening in February. So you're probably seeing this as the first thing. And for me, it is very simple. Qualify for the World Cup. Now, they just had a nice window in Mexico where they played and beat Costa Rica 2-1, but then lost to Mexico 3-0. Mexico is always good developing at this level. And at the youth level, they've always been a good performing team. But again, teams like the United States, countries like that, have continued to emerge as players that need to be reckoned with at the youth level. And at this level, there's definitely opportunities for them to play well. But then also, it's a youth tournament. I don't want to put too much on this, but I think every showcase gives them an opportunity to play. And within that showcase... That means they have an opportunity to maybe invite more players, more camps, more friendlies, more players you can integrate into the Canadian system and the outfit. And whether that means duels bringing players in, I think the more opportunities you have, it works. So for the U-17s, they just had one camp there. And then in January, maybe they'll have a short camp before. But this is go time for them. And I do think qualifying for the World Cup is really going to push them to being a very successful team moving forward. A, a good barometer for a team who had made the World Cup. 2006, Ghana made the World Cup. Their U-17 team made the U-17 World Cup, made it to the, uh, I believe, the third place game. And then were eliminated and won third or fourth place. And then two years later, the core of that team went on to win the U-20s. And then the core of that team joined the national team and went on a historic run, being the, until this year, one of three African nations that make the quarterfinals. Morocco is now the only African nation to make the semifinals, so congrats to them on a great World Cup last year. But looking at how they're able to integrate players like that, it's a very interesting and good model to look at. I'm not saying that the players on this U-17 team are going to be the players playing for the national team, but that's a country that did it. They were able to successfully integrate the core of a World Cup team with the core of a World Cup winning team at the youth level and gain success. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on that I'd be very much excited to see. Number four. Six new players called up for both national teams. Now, it seems like a very small number. And what do I constitute as new? What do I qualify as new? To me, I look at a player who is new to playing at the senior level. So players who were called up before, I don't qualify them as that. Players who already played, I don't qualify. So a Theo Corbinu Corbianu, I don't consider him new. Maybe with some of the U-20s, if they came in, I would consider them. Players maybe who are starting to peak into their primes now are players who are playing very well and deserve the call-up and the recognition, right? We're looking at players like maybe a Richie Ennen, if he's able to play well, a Theo Bear, a Victor Latore, right? On the men's side, to name a few, right? That's not all of them, but to name a few. And then you look at the women's side, you know, we look at the U-20s coming through, right? What happens to Anna Karpenko as she continues to develop? Um, what happens with players who are going to go pro? Are we able to find more players maybe who are sitting on the outskirts in Europe looking to have an opportunity to play? Right? And I think that's a big opportunity. Yes, after the World Cup, remember, there is Olympic qualifiers, which we'll get to a little bit later. 
So, with that being the case, there is some opportunity, maybe, you know, we knock on wood for any injuries. However, I think it would be a good opportunity. The women may be a little bit more difficult, but I'd love to see it. Six new players brought in who haven't played national team yet. That would be number four for me. Number five, the women to qualify for Paris 24. Now, as full disclosure, I do think the Olympics should be U23. That's just my personal opinion. That being said, we are still, Canadians are, the Olympic champions on the women's side for football, soccer. And I think going back and defending their title is important. Now, also qualifying and winning their playoff with Jamaica, which is happening in September, late September means they also automatically qualify for the Women's Gold Cup happening next summer. So there's a lot on the line for that. So Canada having the opportunity to go through, not to say they expect them to go through, but Jamaica's at the Olympic is going to the World Cup. Jamaica is going to the World Cup. And that means they'll have an opportunity to play top teams, not to mention a team like Canada, who is a top team. And both those experiences post-World Cup, we'll see injuries, we'll see players who maybe emerge, and we'll be looking to see how they are able to truly perform. But qualifying for the 24 Olympics in Paris is important. That's reso number five. Number six, national team games. And this is more of a personal preference. Just with the growth of the game, I would love to see national team games in the province of Quebec and Manitoba. You know, we see what the CPL has been able to do for Valor and Manitoba. And I think they do have a stadium. The issue with stadiums in Canada is there are so few grass stadiums, which means you are limited essentially to Toronto, Montreal, and then in the women's case, you know, Vancouver, which is their home, their unofficial home base. But I would love to see Quebec and Manitoba national team fixtures, whether that is the men's, whether that's the women's sending them off for the World Cup, whether that's the men's nations. Like I think definitely there's an opportunity to grow the sport. Again, it doesn't have to be the invitational tour. I know on the men's side, a lot of players are more comfortable in Toronto because that's a consistency. They know that. But still, give me some friendlies or some matchups where perhaps – Get the opportunity to see them play and get more fans to really get on board and grow off of the momentum of last year and really push the sport a little bit further on. Number seven. My resolution number seven is to have this bargaining complete with the national teams. I mean, we've had glimpses. We have people who've made promises who've said this is definitely coming. But so far, all we have is a likeness agreement with Alfonso Davies, which allegedly will be going through with the rest of the players. Um, let me know if this has happened. <laughs> I have no idea. But having likeness disputes, naming rights, all these things, this needs to be resolved this year, especially when we look at the influx of you know sponsorship that's come in since the men have come to the World Cup. It's important that the national team players are compensated appropriately. Not to what you know one can achieve, but appropriately. 
So that is number seven. Get this bargaining complete. Let's stop bargaining through the media. Let's get it down, get it on paper, and let us get back to the pitch. I, by the way, I do side with the players, but that's besides the point. Let's get it done and get back to the pitch. Number eight, appropriately number eight. With Project 8, we have, that's the Women's Domestic League in Canada. You know, we have Foothills. We get Vancouver Whitecaps. Who's next? Do we find a team in Montreal? Perhaps a team in Ontario? You know, maybe the Maritimes get in. Who are the next teams? I hope we're able to get the whole league sorted and found over this next little bit. That's a whole year to do so. They'll have the Women's World Cup to watch and get truly inspired. And maybe that pushes a few more investors to say, let's pour some more money to make sure that we have the next Evelyn Vienne, that we have the next Jade Revere, that we have the next Ashley Lawrence on home soil. Who are the next franchises? Who are the next teams? Even more importantly, who are the next sponsors? That is number eight. What happens? My resolution for that is I hope we are able to have this all figured out by September so that as we enter next year, we are ready. And I say next year because it'll be next year in 24. We'll be ready. Resolution goal question number nine. Jade Riviere is rehabbing right now. She posted some videos on her Twitter and it's great to see her rehabbing. Now, interestingly enough, her name was not a name that was entered at recording into the NWSL draft, which leads me to believe, <laughs> I, I with my detective cap, that she may be headed somewhere. Now, could that somewhere be Europe? I've always just been a sender to Chelsea because apparently all Canadians are going to Chelsea now, but maybe not. Apparently, Canadians are now going to Chelsea and Arsenal. Yo, shout out to Sabrina D'Angelo. Well, instead, up. Uh, making her way, alleged right now, reports are she may be headed towards Arsenal. Chloe Lacasse reporting is gathering interest from Arsenal as well as Bayern Munich. So, where does Jade Riviere end up? And that is very intriguing to me. I hope it's a club there. Or even as a low-key interesting note, Mexico. The Mexi Feminine. There is a Canadian coach there who could do a great job. We've already seen one North American player me official truly excel in her under her coaching. I wonder what Jade Riviera could do. Alors Jade Riviera going abroad, whether it's Mexico, whether it's England, or perhaps somewhere else. Which leads me to number ten. Number ten. I'd love to see a Canadian in the top five European leagues on both the men and the women's side. Right now, we have just women in the Prem, Kadisha Buchanan, Riley Foster, as well as more. I know Jesse Fleming's there. But we got women in the WSL. We don't have men in the Premier League. In Darkenau's Ligue 1 in France, we have players in both the men's and the women's. 
Shout out to Ugbo, Gilles, and company. Grosso in the Italian League. Davies in the German League. No one in Spain. And then we got Lacasse and our boy Eustachio in the Portuguese League. I'd love to see players in all those leagues, you know? I'd love to be able to turn on a league and know, hey, there's a Canadian player. I do that with Ghanaians. I do this. I'd love to do it with Canadians as well. So whether that's moving, I know there's maybe hopes that uh, a player like Tejan Buchanan ends up in Milan. Perhaps a player like Jonathan David ends up in the Prem. Who knows where the opportunities come? And maybe it comes from a player we don't even see coming. But I would love to see it by... 2023's end, a Canadian, even even more specifically a national team player, Canadian, in each of these top five leagues. I know I've said six leagues, Italian, German, Spanish, French, English. Would love to see a Canadian in five of these leagues, both men and women. Let's take us a little bit more local now for resolution number 11. This is the last year for League One in Ontario before they move to their three-tiered. So if you're not aware, uh, League One Ontario is moving towards a a Premier League, uh, a a Championship League, and then a second division where, you know, second teams, new teams coming in will be in. And they're going to accumulate the points over these last two seasons to rank teams accordingly. So with more League One teams wanting to join, you know, they'll start off in the third tier. And then from points-wise, they can move up to tier so they can keep the competition a little bit more, you know, grouped and categorized. For the sport to grow, it's going to need some more airtime. And I think One Soccer is in a great spot where they can build up some more. Now, they did a good job broadcasting the uh, Women's Championships, the League One Women's Championships, which was a good showcase of that. But with the CPL, I know it'll be a tough, it'll be an interesting year next year. It'll be a packed year. You know, you'll have the Women's World Cup, you'll have the Gold Cup, you have Nations League, you have friendlies and games. She believes Cup for the women early in the year. However, I think One Soccer has an opportunity where they can whether that's on their page or maybe their YouTube, have a League One showcase matchup, right? And just use that as an opportunity to really promote. Now, they can spread that around. It doesn't have to all be Ontario. I know Ontario's doing the pro-rel, but I think in order to grow the sport more, we need to give showcases, similar to, you know, what CBC was doing with the CPL in its early days, giving it a few matches here to really grow interest and have people tune in. I believe One Soccer really could do a good job in growing the ability of following, you know, the players of tomorrow. The one thing in Canada is while we have we're creating more pathways, you want to sometimes highlight the pathways that are there. More will be developed as we continue to grow. But let's showcase what we have and learn from it and grow from it. It's going to be a very crucial four years. Leading to number 12, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, you know, stat keeping. Um, Better stat tracking for both League Ones and U Sports across the board, right? Both 
across Canada, and then in BC, Ontario, and Quebec for League Ones. Better stat tracking would be very much appreciated. Um, shout out to uh, Josh from the Step Over for bringing this one up to my attention. Truly do appreciate that. And I think, yeah, if we're able to do that, maybe that gives us an opportunity to really highlight some of the players who are doing well. Maybe that gives more of those players more avenues to be seen. I know U-Sport is big for the CPL draft. And then when you look further, when you see things such as uh, Project 8 coming along for the women. But we want to give players who are looking to do this on a professional level every opportunity they have. And that means, you know, getting them as much access to data as possible. So let's start, you know, doing little things. Updating stats. Stat tracking at a good rate so that we can. Now again, some of this is on a volunteer basis. We understand, but... Let's try to take a step forward with this. Number 13. Number 13. We're going to Mexico. And a very low-key aspect of last year on the women's side is Canadian coaches winning. Rianne Wilkinson with the Portland Timbers. I said the Timbers. Rianne Wilkinson with the Portland Thorns winning the NWSL Championship. Carmelina Moscato winning with Tigres, Liga Femme, Mex, and Rianne has stepped down from her post at Portland. Um, and we're not going to get into that too much, but we'll kind of it. But with Carm down in Mexico, what is the next step that happens? And I've already mentioned Loki. I think maybe Jade going down to Mexico wouldn't be a bad shout for her. To continue to develop under a Canadian coach and really have opportunities. But is she able in that league now to become a beacon to get players in? With Liga Mexi growing, especially on the women's side, the NWSL isn't the only fish in the, in the pond. And with the Canadian Domestic League coming, NWSL isn't the only fish in the pond. So the question now becomes... Can they start to get more players? Is Carm able to recruit, adding players to her squad? Yep, signing players out and developing, and whether that turns into transfers out, whether that turns into just long careers. What is she able to do? I am very curious, and it's more of a question for me. I am very much wondering what happens with Carm in year two in Liga Maxi Femme. And Tigres, the unofficial official Team Canada of Liga Maxi Femme, <laughs> is a thing in a moniker we will wear with pride. That is number 13. Now to number 14. Uh, transparency from the CSA. Now when I say transparency from CSA, that also does include um, things such as bargaining agreements with the national teams but it also comes with keeping us informed i think one of the major lessons that they learned going to the men's world cup was that they really weren't prepared for what was going to happen and they just yeah they just unfamiliar territory for them but how do they improve i heard this comment on uh northern football podcast is how do they improve the transparency both sides but then also 
giving the opportunities to create the stories and the narratives that can help positively impact the game. You know? Similar to that, for the fans who follow, like, can we be transparent with things? When things are coming, let's, let, let us get ahead of them versus have fans who want to support be scrambling because they get news last minute. If there are camps, announce them. Be proud of them, not secretive, because there are fans who do want to support these players. Whether they are youth, whether they are para, whether they are senior national teams. There are fans who want to support, and they can only support as much as they know. Communicate. Learn from the mistakes from last year. Having that transparency with what is happening. Because the more fans know, the easier it is to support or have a decision made versus being stuck in a limbo. Transparency from the CSA. That is something, a resolution that I would like to see. Number 15. Do Canada Soccer end up on a channel that is not one soccer this year? Now, TSN does have the rights to the World Cup, so... TSN will be broadcasting their yeah the Women's World Cup and they'll have they have those broadcast rights. However, with CBC, TSN, especially Sportsnet, we're starting to see what shapes up with the MLS Apple TV agreement. So we're starting to kind of see how that's gonna look. But does another broadcaster make a play to get some Canada football? soccer content on its airways. I've always maintained that I think 2024 is an interesting year because with the Women's Gold Cup, someone could go for the rights for that. Granted, yes, One Soccer does have the rights to national team games. However, tournaments aren't necessarily that. So would a Sportsnet go after maybe the Women's Gold Cup? How does the Nations League work out from a broadcasting standpoint? Does CBC maybe get the rights to Nations League so that they can see Canada go in? Will we see a national team on something other than TSN or One Soccer? An actual live game at the Gold Cup for the women and qualifiers for the World Cup and the Olympics. They had some games on CBC, but that agreement was a little bit tape delayed. And so ratings were able to be pulled, but it was on a rebroadcast, so we didn't see it. So I think that's an interesting question for this year. Will we see more outside of that? A question. What happens, number 16? What happens in Portlanida? Now, Portlanida is was a moment of pride, but now it's marred with a little bit of controversy with Rianne Wilkinson stepping down from her post. Questions about... Karina LeBlanc, in her position, you've had Sinclair issuing statements with uh, Merritt Paulson leaving that left some people a little bit, you know, unsatisfied, to say the least. What does the aftermath of that look like? Portlanida used to be a beacon of Canadian work, and it's at the risk of perhaps not being there anymore. Are they able to weather this properly and learn from their mistakes? Will Portlanda continue to be? Janine Becky has already stated that she will be returning to the club. LeBlanc is still in her post at this moment of recording. And Sinclair said she'll be back. 
So there are some pieces, but there are definitely lessons that need to be made. And especially in the light of the Yates report, which leads me to number 17. With Sierra McCormick, not even the rumblings, with Sierra McCormick and everything we now know about sport in Canada, national sport organizations, how do we actually create safe sport? My resolution is we actually put actions to where our mouths are and create these safing work environments for players. But that means being accountable to the mistakes that we've left. Right? Those who fail to learn from history are bound to repeat it. So the question now becomes, are the right people in charge to ensure that we don't have a repeat of what happened? All right? Will safe sport actually be effective? Or does it need something else? It's not lost on me that the Vancouver Whitecaps on the women's side are the first women's team to jump in and be involved with the Women's Domestic League, which is great. But it's not lost on me that they're also the team that's been embroiled in a lot of this controversy. So have we learned enough? Will we not make the same mistakes? Or will our hubris bound us to make the same mistakes again? Will we chase success at, at the cost of the well-being of players? These are all questions that we have to answer and we have to do a better job. And that starts from the beginning. And whether that's putting players, the right faces and the right people in those positions, who knows? But we have to do, we have to take steps in the right direction to make sure that we don't have a repeat of what has happened. That's number 17. Number 18. CPL teams. This is more of a goal for me. I'd like the CPL to introduce a second tier or finally start to implement academies. Now, if you're not aware, CPL does have a U has a U21 rule or U25 or U23 rule. And to me, whenever a league introduces something like that, to me it's more of an indictment of we are trying to solve an issue by creating this rule until we are able to implement the thing that we want to. And in the case of that, no teams have academies. Now, there's been talks of Atletico Ottawa perhaps having a U23 team that either plays in the PLSQ or League One Ontario. That would be great. If League One becomes that second tier for where teams play, that's amazing. However, we need that league needs more development opportunities, uh, which is why I think I was always under the impression. That's why I think ultimately. League One teams are the key to the success of football, soccer in Canada because their structure, their academy setups can offer a backway portal for, for teams to find players. We've seen already, right? Players like Lowell Wright on the U20 side, Enco, who went straight from League One to the CPL, now is in the MLS Pro, next pro. There are, there are pathways, and I think the more we're able to 
empower those sides. And I think that will be also the same on the women's side. The more we can empower those people who have the infrastructure already, I think that opens the door. But I think the CPL definitely needs some opportunities for other tiers, especially when it comes to players. Players from the draft that maybe, you know, they don't have the opportunity to play if they don't make the team, but maybe somewhere that guarantees them minutes to play and to develop. And maybe having, you know, a second tier team that plays in uh, a League One Ontario or, you know, plays in the CPL two or an Academy League, so to speak. It's not going to be created this year, but my goal and resolution, my dream is to have it be initialized and have it be an initiative and have it be an initiative for the upcoming next season. Number 19. Shout out to Debbie Soccer for suggesting this to me. I did tweak it. She did say 25, but because it's 2023, I'm saying 23. 23 new professional players. Now, are we counting the NWSL? Yes. Are we counting League One? Eh, we. It's technically our highest league. But... 23 new Canadians playing professionally on the women's side. Get a contract, ladies, wherever you are. 23. I think that is more than reasonable. Here we go. Now, special shout out to W Soccer and her map that she has. Right now, we have many Canadians who are playing collegiately. You know, from Jessica DeFilippo playing and Sarah Lynn playing in the SEC to players like Maya Antoine, also at Vanderbilt, to players like Amanda West and Anna Bout at Pitt, Florence and Vancouver, and more players on their way. Right now, I think we count about, and these are just seniors, by the way, about almost 30, 30 seniors plus players who are coming in as freshmen. So there's a lot of opportunity, not to mention some of the U-17s who started to declare, players from Amanda Allen, Ella Otti, Rosa Maloof, Renee Watson. Now, I'm not expecting those players to go professional, but once you get to that junior slash senior year, there is opportunities. And I think... To have those players have the opportunity to get contracts would speak volumes. And I think that's a lofty goal for us to hold on to and to push. Now, maybe when we start our league, that makes it a little bit more manageable and attainable to have 23 players with going professional. However, I think there's enough quality that they can truly play well and give a good showing for a professional career. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that goes. That is 19. 20. That's to me. Whenever the send-off is. So right now, for the woman, they're playing the She Believes Cup in February. And then there is... Then there's a July window. So with that being the case, more than likely... A send-off match, unless they are outside of the country, 
There is April. Bev says they are planning on being in Canada, which should be the send-off. Wherever the send-off is my goal, I want to sell out. 23, 25. If it's in Vancouver, give me the 40. Give me the 40 piece. If it's in Toronto, give me the 20 piece. Let's sell out and send off this team for the World Cup of their lives. That is that is the goal. That's that's two games, two match window. More than likely, what we've been seeing is a lot of just double matchups, double headers. Gain a team one spot so they don't have to travel too much, which makes sense, especially heading into a World Cup year. However, get wherever they are. They're trying to play at home. Get these ladies the send-off they deserve. Like I said, if it's in Vancouver, give them the 40-piece. If it's in if it's in Toronto, give them the 20 piece. If it's in Montreal, give them the 20 piece. Let's sell this out. If it's in Edmonton, give them the 60 piece. Give them that Commonwealth send-off. Give them the send-off that they deserve before the World Cup of their lives. Now when we get to 21. This is a bit more of a selfish one for me, I'm not gonna lie. But uh, could Ike Ugo start a game like that isn't in some sort of quote-unquote extreme, <laughs> extreme temperatures, right? He played a little bit in Edmonton, and then the last start he got was the rainstorm in Honduras. Now let's, and Ugo represents it a little bit more in terms of what is who is the next nine right you know it's jonathan david you know kyle laren you have players who can play there in a pinch however can we see what ugbo can do at this level because if we aren't able to do it then what are we going to do now it's tough for that player because that player you know you're not there are a few nines who were playing better than jonathan david last year but with a player like Lara not able to get minutes, you would have thought he had the opportunity to really break through, but wasn't given that opportunity. So with that being the case, does Herdman give it? Now, Ugbo has to earn it, no doubt about it, but can Ugbo do something at the nine in CONCACAF competition? Can he offer something uh, to give a three-headed striker tr trio? And that's the question. Can he do that? So, will Igbo get a start? You know, players like him, Christian Gutierrez, I, they're real. I promise you, they're real. Um, players who get called but never get playtime, are there, will they get there? And Ugbo, to me, represents a little bit bigger one from there. So, that is 21. Now, when we get to number 22, this is a conversation with Bev. Will we see three at the back? And I want to be more specific with that. Will we see... Bev experimenting with formations when her back isn't against the wall. That is a question that, I, that I'm curious about. Um, we do have some center back depth that could allow us to play a three at the back. Whether you want to go Zdorsky, Buchanan, and Gilles, or if you want to go Rose, Buchanan, and Gilles, or if you want to go Buchanan, Zdorsky, Rose. Again, there's four players, three. You do the probabilities of players. But it ultimately comes down to the depth that we have in the program. 
and wondering how well do we actually dig into it versus do we just go with the 11 to 13 players that Bev really relies on. We know Bev likes her vets. There's no doubt about that. Um, and you saw that, especially in CONCACAF W. Uh, any chance she had to supplement, she was leaning on Chapman. She was looking for Sophie Schmidt. And, you know, so with players, I, they have to earn it with any team. That's fine. But I do wonder if we see some sort of experimentation, especially when it comes to they have the She Believes Cup, which is three top tier teams that they'll be playing. I don't know about availability as of now, but it would be a perfect opportunity to experiment with different formations, different things, see what can and can't work. We don't have a full bevy of players, right? Uh, we're missing two forwards, if you want to call that. I would look at them more as wingers in Deanne Rose and uh, Nichelle Prince. We're missing other players are going through. So it'll be interesting where the depth that goes. And on that note, even where does Bev really put, does she sacrifice one position for another, right? Does she try to rely on midfielders? I mean, who do you leave off? Is Sinclair at her age still worth starting and trying to go for 50 to 60 minutes? Or would you rather put on, start off with a Sophie Schmidt or even a Quinn? alongside with Grosso and Fleming. I think Grosso and Fleming are your two midfield stars, and the question becomes now, who else do you add? Which is why I think a three at the back could be intriguing, because it does give you the opportunity. You can have a center back step up, and then it does become more of that traditional 4-3-3. Or you can play maybe a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2. They have experimented with that. Um, but if you go 3-5-2, now you're really relying on your fullbacks to bring in that delivery. Now, with uh, Jade Riviere starting to recover, she certainly could and has shown that range of play. But are you better off having your fullbacks be your uh, main suppliers of the ball? Or are you willing to look at other players? And then you have to factor in a player like Janine Becky. So many questions, so many possibilities. What do we do? But I think how Bev experiments, that that will be interesting to see. And it's something I want to see her try to do because I, I'd rather have, at least in the back of her mind, she knows what she can and can't do versus having to discover the ability of a formation or players at the biggest stage because they haven't had a chance to really test it out yet. Now, 23 is... We talked about communication, and this is a thing for me uh, that, you know, it kind of came up when we had a conversation with uh, Mission 26, Crates Freights. We don't even have uh, a youth national team account. Like, you, you go to Canada Soccer's website, and you look at the different teams, and all they do have is the men's national team, Nations League, the women's national team, She Believes Cup. Right, and it's like the U-17s are playing too. And, and I think it, for Canada to really take a step, we have to start to play. They have stuff on the para team, they have stuff on the on the, uh, the E-teams, but there's nothing on the youth side, which is, I think, a little disappointing just to really start to push. Now, maybe that changes when the tournament comes closer, but it is a tournament, especially with these next four years, they do matter when it comes to recruitment, getting players in, 
you could be seeing some of these players on the national team potentially if not in this next four years but in these next eight years so we gotta show that these other terms the other things matter can't just be and that kind of blends into the whole conversation of you know cons- you know consistency and just being clear with communication transparency and whatnot but put in the effort and show that they care because truly like just something as little as promoting u17 and having that there and going kind of the blending on that we do need a a proper national youth developer coach for me i would love for that yes it's good to have them involved with the national team but i would love for that player for those coaches to be a little bit separate where they can start to you know find talent and find players not necessarily for how the team is played but just find talented players and then figure out how they've meshed onto the pitch I think on the women's side, you see that it's a bit of a difficulty because there isn't a league here. So for the most part, the only pathway is truly through national development centers, youth teams, and moving forward, right? And that's a bit difficult. With the men's side, you have you know the CPL, you have MLS, you have collegiate route, you have U-Sport, NCAA. So there's multiple pathways that they can look and try to keep track of players. But when it comes to on the women's side, they need more of that. So that's 23. 23 is show that you care about the youth. Actually promote and talk about it. But then also get some proper structure there. Get a national youth development director um, for both men and women. Get someone there. You know, the coach, again, I for me, I, it would be nice to have them a little bit separate of that. But I understand the benefits of having them part of the senior coaching staff and then having that play through. But find those aspects and those coaches where they can kind of play through. And so you can get the talent and get it together because it, it just feels with the lack of promotion, what we don't see makes me feel like we're not also paying attention to it. And if it feels like they're not paying attention to it, it feels when results don't go the same way. It feels like, well, we weren't, we didn't really put in a solid effort. So that's 23. Bonus number 24. Um, is Evelyn Villian, the uh, nine of these next four years for Canada? Uh, to me, yes. Yeah. So get Vian some starts. That's number 24. Bonus for everybody. Anyways, guys, those are my 23 plus ones. Uh, what do you guys think? What are some of your resolutions you have for soccer in Canada? Um, there was, there's lots of things I didn't think of putting in, whether it's, you know, having an actual national uh, camp. I know there's the Woodbridge camp that they're talking about potentially to work through. Um, there's there's questions about CPL expansions and the size of stadiums. I don't know why everything is five to seven. Why not someone just push for 10? I understand Moncton hasn't been used in a minute, but hey, Build for where you think you will be, not for what you think you are right now, right? And it's it's an easy to say from this standpoint, but I think we may be better suited just to push up and that opens it up, right? Even little things like, why don't we play more friendlies in Canada um, across, especially with the youth teams? I feel that's a great opportunity to play friendlies across Canada, get players in, bring other national teams here, use that as a recruitment piece, but hey. Those are some of the other ones I left on the uh, cutting room floor. But you guys, let me know in the comments below what are some resolutions you have for Canada soccer for 2023. Let me know. And guys, until next time, you know we're good. I'm going to stop rambling now. Did he keep that